Welcome to the Meditation Ward. My name is Nadia Ward. I'm really excited to bring you this podcast where I talk to interesting people who also happen to be meditators. We talk about their stories, the way they got into meditation, and any tips or tools they'd like to share with you. Each week, there's a second episode, a guided meditation that we hope you'll enjoy. If you would like to start your own meditation practice, we would love you to check out our course, Exploring Meditation, a seven-week course designed by me, Nadia. Each week, you learn new tips and tools and how to create your own personal meditation practice that works for you. Follow us at The Meditation Ward on Instagram or go to the website, themeditationward.com. Sign up for our emails and check out our courses. And now, on to the episode. Hey guys, thanks so much for coming today to the Meditation Ward. We're really excited because today we get to talk to Holly Zazer, and she is a wellness educator, entrepreneur, writer, and host of the How the Wise One Grows podcast. She provides a platform for thought leaders to share their wisdom and insights on personal growth and inner wisdom. Holly, you're such a warm and non-judgmental way about you. And one of the things that I love is how you're thoughtful, kind, and vulnerable in the way you speak and approach your topics. And it feels like you're experiencing things with us instead of like teaching. And I mm-hmm. think it's really like accessible because I think like a lot of people, well, maybe it's like you're teaching and not like listing or giving people information all the way. Does that make I sense? I really appreciate <laughs> hearing that. I mean- I think the way that I see it is we're all learning and growing and evolving together. And it's like, we all have these different nuggets of wisdom that I think can resonate with different people when it's just presented in different ways. So I definitely feel like, especially through how the wise one grows podcast, like I am 1000% learning and growing with the listeners (laughs) with every single episode and in my, you know, personal yoga and mindfulness practices, it's just a lifelong journey of learning and that. Yeah. That's what, I mean, it's lucky to get to be in a space to have a podcast like this because it's like, well, I think I know stuff. The more you realize that you don't know because you're learning from so many more people than I would have before. And it's so cool. Yeah. I honestly think like the most dangerous mindset or like the advice of people to be wary of are the people who act like, like, they know it all. And this is the absolute truth. And there isn't that growth mindset. Like when I hear that, I'm kind of like, okay. Like, I think the, the wisest people are the ones who acknowledge that we're always learning and we're always growing and we will never have all of the answers. Yeah. And if we do, then what's the point? Yeah. What's the fun? (laughs) Like, (laughs) yeah. So thanks for being here. I, um, you started out as a writer communication. So I've done so many things. (laughs) Um, but I, ever since I was seven years old and I wrote this poem about a willow tree, I've just always had this deep connection with writing. And there have been moments where it's been a part of my professional career, my adult life, more of a thing on the side. But in the last couple of years, I've really made this commitment to myself of like, I'm going to tap into that seven-year-old wisdom again. Um, and I'm for- focusing on getting my first book published right now. Oh, that's exciting. Have you already read it, finished writing it? Yeah, I finished writing it. I might go back and make 
some revisions, but it's essentially a series of poetic affirmations and then mindfulness-based practices. And to me, it's like, I've always heard the advice, write the book you want to read. And it's what I've done every morning for years and years. I just like write little limericks and lines that help me get out of my head and process big things in a more playful way. And then having the mindfulness skill sets to then like really get in the body, get out of the mind, drop into the experience of the moment and even the hard things that are happening. That's awesome. Keep us posted and I'll update the listeners. Yeah. Exciting. Um, so you talked about being seven years old and tapping into that seven-year-old wisdom that you had. Um, and that like mindful, I'm thinking like a mindful, like creativity, um, Mm -hmm. that just comes more naturally, like at that age. Yeah. Um, did you find you lost that for a while and are finding your way back to it? Or what is it that inspires you about that time of your life? I don't know why it's seven, but there is like a part of me where I just feel like when I was seven, that's when I was the most free, the most like messy outside in the mud, right? And around that just felt like the, the core of who I am inside. And I think I am someone who I've always had a playful nature, even as I've grown up, I think there are times in life where my playfulness has diminished. And I feel like I'm coming out of one of those waves. I think COVID really put me in one of those waves where I was like, oh, my sense of play is just heavier. Everything just felt heavier. And the last couple of years, my intention, one of my grounding words for the year has been playful and tapping back into my childlike wisdom, my play. Um, I've grown up in a very creative family. So creativity has always been a part of my life, not always through writing, but I'm also a ceramic artist and I've been doing that for years and years. Um, But I've really been exploring as someone who's, I've spent my professional life making what I love, um, ceramics, yoga, mindfulness, writing a part of my livelihood. And when doing that, my experience has been this like pressure gets added onto it. And this, it kind of takes away the magic sometimes when you start beating yourself up about it, like trying to monetize on things because you have to live uh, and you have to have money to survive. And I've been really trying to peel back the layers of like, how can I still work in a way that feels authentic to me, but it's not stealing the joy of these things that are just intrinsically healing for my soul because I need them for me as a person, first and foremost. Yeah. It's like where I used to um, work at, like I'd have a restaurant that was my favorite and then I'd Mm -hmm. start working at the restaurant and then it was no longer the place I want to go hang out on on my days off because I didn't want to be in it and it was my favorite place before. So like exactly having like to do that. a career. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. surrounded around your, your happiness mm-hmm. and like how to balance that out. Yeah, definitely. And it's a double-edged sword, you know, there is, there are great gifts to it. And then there are struggles and it's just, how can you hold the wholeness of it and then find balance in that? Yeah. Um, so let's talk about your journey into um, yoga and mindfulness and talking to all the people you talk to now with your podcast, like what brought you first into seeking out ways to be mindful? Like, mm-hmm. 
So when I was 16, I um, was in my first relationship and I ended up being involved with someone who was a bipolar heroin addict. And yeah, and you know, I'm 16, I was very young. Um, I had never touched those substances, but I definitely saw that he turned to them to deal with mental health stuff he was struggling with. How did, and, was this person in your school or how did you meet someone so different? This was a person in my school. Yeah. yeah. And it was just like, you know, you never would have really guessed it. Just like an average, I think he was like 17 year old boy. Like, you know, these were things I learned as we like connected and, and grew together. But when that relationship ended, it was, it was a very traumatic experience. You know, there was a lot that I was sifting through and dealing with on how could I safely leave this situation in a way that wasn't going to harm me or harm the person so that they wouldn't harm themselves. And I felt very lost. Like I, I'm someone, I'm an empath. I love taking care of people and through that time of my life, I really lost who I was. I lost my playfulness and my joy in trying to care for this person and fix it and change them in ways that I couldn't, you know, I was, that's not my responsibility. And so when I was safely out of that situation, I just felt lost. And I remember I went to a yoga class. I just like kept dragging myself. I had a great teacher in high school who I was able to safely share um, what was happening to me and had an adult that I could turn to, which was key. And he was such a motivator of like, my focus is on you and you finding the joy and like things to help you through this. So he was, he would give me a list of things to try every week, like go on a run, go on a hike, go to yoga, go do like just things to get me out of my head into my body and enjoying life again. So I went to yoga and I was completely submerged. I remember I, at the end of class, I was like facing the back of the room at the back of my mat instead of facing the front of the room and the teacher because <laughs> I was just so in another plane. Um, and that teacher actually is one of my dearest friends. You hear her on um, my podcast a, a few times, Tara Eschenroder, um, still one of my greatest friends and lifelong teachers. But for me, I was like, Whoa. Like I knew I was dipping my toe in something that would completely submerge me. And then I just really dedicated to myself. I like knew that it made me feel better. So I had my Saturday ritual of I would go to yoga in the morning. And then my high school had a ceramics program that I was involved in and they had studio time on Saturdays. So every Saturday I would go to yoga and then I would sit behind the wheel and, and I just completely immersed myself into yoga and in my art and that's how I processed the deep trauma and pain that I was experiencing and going throughout the time and found a way to heal and, and step into the fullest version of me I had known at that point. Yeah. So when you were in the relationship though, it did, it must take a certain amount of awareness to know how scared you were and that it wasn't like normal or. Um, yeah, it took, you know, it took time. It took it was one of those things um, that it like you didn't know how bad it was until you did. Yeah. And then it was like, okay, like, you know, I kind of 
had an awareness all along that it probably wasn't the best thing. But again, I didn't know everything going into it. There were things you learned over time. And then it was like, there was also like, you know, it was my first love. Like (laughs) there was all that other emotion too. And, and just trying to be, I learned, I think for me, why yoga became so powerful at that time was because I knew I couldn't react. Like I couldn't be a teenager. I couldn't react to my first breakup because it wouldn't be safe. And I just had to learn how to control my emotions and my responses, but I also really needed to feel them. And I really needed to let myself heal. So my yoga practice and my ceramics practice were that safe place for me to process and heal and like take out the wide range of emotions I was experiencing. And then it just became a constant through my life. Like in college, I kind of drifted away, but then I came back. I found kind of a theme for a while of like yoga was always a practice I had, but I really deepened my practice. Maybe when I started to fall off course and those were the times I was like delved deeper and deeper in college is when I really submerged and I got my yoga teacher training, um, as a student. Yeah. So it sounds like you came into this practice, like at a younger age, but also you unfortunately had to go through a lot of hardship at a younger age than a lot of people might have Mm -hmm. to. So you found healthy ways to cope. Yeah. And I had a really good support system. Like I wasn't really worried about drug use for myself at any point in that, but it was, um, the learning of how to deal with hard things and Mm -hmm. process emotions. And for me, it really was about coming home to myself. And I feel like that's what the practice is for me to this day. It's like, I step on the mat, I step on my meditation cushion and I come back to my home, my internal center. Yeah. So what is that like kind of look like and mean, like what's the difference in the sense of being when you're before you start that practice and when you actually do, do you know what I mean? I mean, I think as humans in the world that we live in today, there is so much external stimulus going on all the time. There is so much that's pulling our awareness away. I am someone who tends to live in my head. So my mind is always like, I'm not typically actually where I am, you know, and I don't think I'm alone in that. I think most people like, yeah, my physical body is here, but my mind is like 10 years in the past or like five years yesterday. Um, and when I come to the mat, it becomes about landing in the present moment first, like using the senses, noticing when I'm in my head, gently unhooking from that coming into the body And then just getting to know who I am, like not even trying to change the thoughts that I'm having, not necessarily saying like, you can't think right now, or you can't do this or that, but just noticing, like (laughs) when I sit, I'm like, part of me is like, no wonder you love writing. Your mind is just writing these stories all the time. (laughs) Like, this is a good way for you to get it out. My first meditation teacher explained a friend as someone you waste enough time with. And meditation is that space for you to waste time, spend time with yourself and become friends with yourself. So that's the way I see it. Like I'm sitting down here, not to change who I am, but to just 
quiet down all the other stuff that isn't me. Like, you know, I'm not that to-do list. I'm not the dog barking. I'm not what I think someone wants me to do. I'm just like, okay, when I just get still and I let it settle, what's it like to hang out with me? What's it like to be friends with Holly? Yeah. I bet it's quite lovely. <laughs> it is. And sometimes it's not too, you know, and, and that's all right. That's a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, speaking about meditation um, and what I'd love to hear, like what your meditation practice looks like now, whether it's even if it's regular, or not regular and kind of what it has changed from, from when you started it, if at all. Mm-hmm. So I am someone who came into these practices from yoga first. I needed more movement. I needed to be in my body. Um, so yoga was really where I found my foundation of learning to connect with myself. Then when I started teaching yoga professionally, um, and like full time, my body could not practice for me anymore. Like I, it wasn't, my body was just strained. I was teaching, you know, like five, six classes a day, seven days a week. You can't, to, it wasn't healing for me to step on the mat anymore. So that's when I started practicing meditation. And at first, and I'm a big advocate of this for people, like start where you are and make it feel good, make it accessible for you. So for years, my meditation practice looked like um, going downstairs, getting a cup of coffee, crawling back in bed, and setting a timer for 11 minutes. Why 11? I don't know. It's always been that way. And drinking my cup of coffee silently for that 11 minutes. And I could commit to doing that because it felt good. And it was like a treat. I just couldn't really function without having that time for myself. Um, over Can I ask time, questions a, about that before we move yeah, on? For sure. Um, for sure. Yeah, I love that because, you know, I love that meditation I think we think it looks one way, but can mm -hmm. look a thousand different ways. Mm -hmm. um, but then I'm also curious to like go more into what happens in those 11 minutes. Are you trying to focus on the coffee? Are you trying to just be in the bed or are you trying to not try any of those things? Like, mm -hmm. or did it change every day? What was that? 11 I would minutes? say it would change every day. I think it was often focusing, I mean, coffee is such a sensory experience and I find the senses are really way, a really powerful way to get out of my head. So for me, focusing on the coffee and focusing on my breath was probably what I would turn to the most because I could smell the coffee and that would just kind of wake me up. And then I would try to focus on the breath. My intention would be to not get caught up in my thoughts, but often I would get caught up in my thoughts and just, you know, that's what was happening that day. Um, but just letting it be a time to, the intention was really just a time to be still, to hold this space for myself and let this be a space to nurture myself. And I wasn't putting pressure on what happened during that time. Yeah. Did you come up with that idea yourself or did like somebody help you create that or hopefully um, people take this idea for themselves as newbies? I feel like we're always yeah. looking for ideas. Highly recommend people take it for themselves. I don't have a clear, I am sure I was influenced by someone yeah. at some point. I just don't have a clear reminder. I think I made it my own, but I think I had probably heard someone say like, take 10 minutes for yourself yeah. and like, it can look any way. So I was like, you know, this would feel good for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. And then it um, evolved. You said yeah. you did that for years. Yeah. I did that for years. Like every day. Every day. Wow. Yeah. Um, and that was your whole practice. That was my practice. And, you know, sometimes I would move more. Like sometimes I, of course, would still get on the mat when my body felt able, when I had the energy to do it, but that was my ritual. That was my, my constant practice was that 10 minutes with a cup of coffee. Um, I also am a huge advocate of journaling. So like after that 10 minutes, I would journal for however much time I had, you know, over the past few years, it's really evolved like that 10 minutes or 11 minutes <laughs> turned to like 15 and then 20. Now I'm at a point where every morning I sit, you know, I no longer do it in bed. I've taken it a little more. I've had tried putting a little more discipline on myself to work with my mind a little more intentionally. Um, but there are still days where it looks like the 10 minutes in bed and that's fine too. Um, but now I, I wake up, I sit on my cushion for 30 minutes in the morning and I'm trying to get to a place where I'm incorporating a regular 30 minutes in the evening, but I'm not quite there yet. And that's yeah. okay. Right now it kind of looks like in bed, maybe playing a meditation as I fall asleep, a little nidra or something, mm-hmm. but it's not an everyday thing for me at this point. Um, yeah. And I'm a huge advocate of journaling as well. Like all last year, all of 2022, I had after my meditation, I would journal and write and work on my book for an hour every day. And just having that dedicated time, like pen to paper or hands to keyboard (laughs) of writing. Yeah. Um, so as your practice has evolved and you've gone from like your 11 minutes in bed and now to 30 minutes, um, on your cushion, um, and you said you have more intention with Mm -hmm. like what you're doing with your brain. Um, can you, talk to that a little bit more. Yeah. So right now I've definitely am deepening my study of mindfulness and meditation practices and practicing in more communities and having more different styles be guided to me. So typically when I sit now, the mind is still wandering for the majority of the time, but my practice becomes about witnessing that mm-hmm. and trying to unhook and come to the senses, come to the breath and just like take the seat of awareness to what's happening versus being so caught up in it. And I find that one the most impactful in my day to day. Another thing I really try to focus on is just resting in what feels good and softening in it. Like something I've noticed is when I'm in my head, my legs are like flexing and my muscles are tensing. And then when I can notice like what's happening in the mind, I come out, I notice my legs and my body softens. So trying to focus on softening and just finding ease and letting it feel good, because if something feels good, we want to keep doing it. You know, we want to keep coming back to that thing that feels like a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Um, And then sometimes I practice breath work during that space too. I definitely, for me, I am someone who, I think all people are different. So you have to find what works for you. I'm someone who innately puts a lot of pressure on myself and I am very good at being disciplined. I was a gymnast at a young age. So like, I've just always known how to discipline myself. So a lot of the practice for me too, is about not like the coming to my cushion is the container and the ritual right now. And like, that's the, what will happen. 
Um, but if it's shorter some days and if my mind is just wandering for that duration, that's okay too. It's not to beat myself up about any expectation. It's just about showing up. Yeah. That's um, really great. There's something that like I learned from one of my teachers too. And it was, it was cool because she had more of a yin approach to, um, sorry, to meditation where it's like a lot of meditation was created, you know, for men and you had to sit up a straight certain way. And like that Mm -hmm. actually ended up causing damage to her body when she was there in India for a very long time and having neck issues and everything. Um, but there has to be a level of like yang or the masculine and that for her, she would say is, is the discipline of showing up every day. Yeah. Because it like, there has to be a level of which we are accountable but then within the accountability to give yourself like grace and softness mm-hmm. to change that as well. So it's really lovely Yeah, because yeah, without definitely. the, without that masculine like drive or like the sun energy or whatever to like get there and do the same thing mm-hmm. every day, it's hard to grow or like be consistent. Definitely. And I think it's so important too, that we bring in that feminine in these practices too, because so much of it is you know, more male dominant traditionally and bringing in that, 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 um, divine feminine in it, I think is really a nurturing element and a gift that these practices have when we can tap into the wholeness of it. I think it, when we get stuck too far on either end of the spectrum, it's not giving us the wholeness, the fullness of the benefits that it truly can. Yeah. What is your energy level in the morning when you meditate? What is it after you meditate? (laughs) If that makes sense. Yeah. Meditate whenever the hell you feel like it's best for you. (laughs) Like there, I don't think should be a rule on a time. I think whenever you can make it happen, like that's a hell yeah. And you do that and you do what best serves you. And if it changes every day and that's what works for you, that is wonderful too. Um, For me, I need quiet time in the morning. I am a monster in the morning if I don't have time to ground myself. So like, that's the way I just know, like if I'm going to show up in the world today, I need some time to like tend to her first. I also (laughs) saw on Instagram that you say you're also a monster when you're hungry. I am. So monster when you're hungry and monster monster. in the morning. And if it's in the morning and you're hungry, like don't come near Don't mess with me. Yeah. (laughs) Your dog is like, I'll wait. I'll wait. Yeah. My dog is the only one allowed. (laughs) Um, But I tend to find, I think a big part of why I did switch to my meditation cushion from the bed was because when I was meditating in bed, like, like I would doze off. And I was kind of like, I was really okay with that because I was like, my body needs more rest and I'm going to honor and acknowledge that that, and that's fine. Um, Getting to my meditation cushion has helped me be more alert. I'm actually not drinking coffee at all anymore, um, which is never thought this would happen, but it is. (laughs) Um, So I typically wake up, I um, feed the dog and then I go and sit for my 30 minutes. And then after that, I make some tea and and do the rest of my things. Um, I find that depending on how well rested I felt depends on kind of what my energy is like. I sometimes kind of will catch myself like, Ooh, like I was dozing off a little there and coming back, but not as often as I would have thought. And I also definitely notice like I wouldn't necessarily say my mind wakes up calm. I think often my mind wakes up and it's like, list, 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 list. 
So for me, it's just a good practice of like noticing that and being like, that's okay. That's not time for this right now. We're just right here. Um, I think the practicing later in the day is part of why I really do want to tap into that practice. I think it is a really key component of like, after all the stuff has happened, how can we like wind down again and quiet the voice? I think there's a real benefit to doing it later in the day as well. And I think most people who are, who are pretty um, deep into the practice really are committed to the twice a day, morning mm-hmm. and afternoon and evening. Yeah. Did that answer your question? I'm yeah. trying to remember. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is like, I don't know, is there like a favorite part about meditation for you and what mm. it like brings to you or your favorite part about it? <sighs> The first thing that comes to mind, and I can't say that this is my favorite because I think for me, my favorite is, I think there's a difference in the favorite in the moment and then a favorite in the why I keep coming back. Like I think my favorite in the moment, I was on a, a meditation retreat and I found this beautiful piece of quartz by this tree that I had spent some time with. And I took it with me. So now I have it on my altar and I hold it in my hand every time I sit. And there's something about just that grounding sensation I feel holding the quartz and just sitting with my breath and feeling my contact to the earth. Like that just in the moments when I feel myself softening, when I catch that I've been caught up in a thought and I catch my thighs tense and I soften into it. I think those moments are the sweet spot because it's like, hmm, we did it. And when I can see what my mind is doing and I'm like, oh, I actually get to know who I am because I'm not identified with these thoughts. I think there's just so much beauty to that. Um, But I mean, the real reason I continue to practice in my favorite part overall is just, I feel so much better in my life. I feel so much, I from a young age, like I've experienced anxiety. Um, I notice myself getting caught up in the waves of life and times where I feel more anxious, times where I'm caught in my head, times when I'm really stressed and overwhelmed. And the more I have been practicing, particularly as I've been deepening my practice these last couple of years, just being able to witness that and not freak out to just be like, hmm, right now is an anxious time. And I'm just going to notice that instead of like spiraling about it and getting, digging myself like deeper into that hole. Yeah, I think that's my real why. And I, it just, it kind of helps me tap back into that play because I take things more lightly when I create more space by not taking life so seriously and heavily and like getting caught up in it. There's more space inside of me to experience the fullness of who I am, which includes that play and that yeah. joy when I let myself really be with the full spectrum. Yeah. It reminded me of like a practice that I haven't done in a really long time that I had heard of. That was like, like being friends with your anxiety. It's like, Mm -hmm. instead of like trying to make it go away, sometimes I'll just sit and be like, okay, I'm freaking out right now. And this is what freaking out feels like. I am in a human body experiencing freaking out. And this is what it feels like. And this is where I feel it in my body. And now I'm mm-hmm. friends with this feeling. And mm-hmm. so it's like, it's not like you're trying to stop feeling because part of a human experience is to be here, to experience a range of human being, 
being, (laughs) you know, and and people think that's like joy, like, oh, I want to be happy, but it's like, but you're also here to experience pain and sadness and instead of pushing it away. But I haven't thought about that in a while. Just like, oh, I'm really, really sad right now. Let's sit and feel what sad feels like. My therapist and I have done a lot of work with like, with these big emotions, like give it a name, draw it out, like get really curious about what it would look like. Like, what does it have a color? Does it have a texture? Just like getting to know it as much as you can, because so much in my experience and right. If we, I think, think about a lot of the root of the teachings is like, I come back to this time and time again, Shinzen Young says suffering is pain times resistance. And in life, pain is inevitable and suffering is optional. And that pain that's that innate part of the human experience. And we can't have joy if we don't have pain. We can't have any without the other. So like pain is going to be here. Moments of anxiety, moments of depression, moments of all of it are going to appear. So we can suffer less if we don't resist it. And a great way to not resist it is to like lean in, get to know it. What would happen if you didn't get caught up in the fear of it? Yeah. So like saying and experiencing are obviously different. How hard is that to lean in? Hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally hard. Um like when you're just saying it, like it's like, oh yeah, it's, that sounds reasonable. Where you're like, Yeah, that step good. in is it's uh <laughs> yeah. it's more of a fall <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, definitely. And I think it, you know, it is a lifelong practice. And I think it can become a lot more accessible if you start with those small things. Like this is a really small thing, but like as a kid, whenever I wanted, like if my order was wrong at a restaurant or if I like needed to ask an adult a question, like I would turn to my parents and be like, will you like ask, tell them this for me? And they'd be like, no, like you will. And I had to, to practice, like it felt uncomfortable to do that. It wasn't in my comfort zone, but I had to step out of that and like meet that new experience. And that helped me build confidence about, oh, I can be with that. I can step into that, you know? So they think you can break things down into bite-sized things. Like for a while, I remember I get really caught up about what, how I think other people feel and how I'm making other people feel in my mm-hmm. head. Right. Especially as so, an empath. Right. Yes. Yeah, especially as an empath and living with roommates. I remember like, I mean, I lived with like my best, best friends for years, like people who I know wouldn't, it was family, but it would still even be like, Oh, if I needed to like borrow some of their lettuce in the fridge, I would work myself up in this tale about like, no, nah, I just can't can't use that let it like I'm just gonna have to think of something totally different or like so stressed about how I'm gonna ask them but whereas like when I just ask them they don't care at all so like I made it a practice for myself of like when I notice myself resisting like wanting to like take a scoop of Elena's yogurt like if that's what my body needs right now I'm just gonna like I know my friend loves me I'm gonna send her a message and like step into that like small moment of discomfort and anxiety that it was for me and and let that be okay and then prove to myself like I can handle that so that then when I get to these bigger moments I think of it as like lifting weights at the gym then when I get to these big moments of like all right I'm about to get married and I'm feeling really anxious (laughs) like that's a you know how can I be with this anxiety and not let it stop me from doing something that there's another part of me that's like, yes, 
do that, you know, because, you know, that I think again, anxiety is going to be a part of all emotions are going to be part of a wide range of things. And if we don't learn how to be with them, they can often stop us. But I also would say like, start where you are, make it small. Don't make it be like, today I'm going to deal with all of the resistance to my past trauma. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like scaffold, have a therapist, work your way up, get support. Being human's really hard and take whatever tools you can to support yourself in dealing with that experience. Um, but I think you can start with lots of small baby steps that are going to help you work your way up to those bigger moments. Do you think um, your meditation practice in general has lessened the amount of anxiety in your life or it's about the same and you just approach it differently? You know, that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. I want to say it has lessened the anxiety, but I won't say it's gone. Like this past weekend, I was just feeling anxious. I couldn't tell you why, but it was just there. But I was really proud of myself because I was able to just like, communicate that to my husband I was able to communicate that to myself like I just feel anxious right now I don't really know and then just like put my hand on my heart be a little gentler with myself and then it passed way quicker than it used to so I think both are probably true yeah you mentioned taking like small steps um instead of you know like scaffolding instead of starting Mm -hmm. on like the top of the building um, cause something I love to ask about is like tips or tools, like, cause you know, one side is like, it's really great for beginners, but then there's the other side. That's like, it's also really great to be reminded of like simple tools and ways to drop in, even if you're not a beginner meditator. Um, mm-hmm. so if you have any ideas or something that like you wish you knew, or that's coming to your practice later, or that you would encourage people to try. Yeah, I think my go-to advice for people is what we talked about earlier is that like take 11 minutes in the morning for yourself with your coffee with your tea make it enjoyable and just set this ritual for yourself that meets you where you're at and what feels good and then I think we talked about how I'm a monster (laughs) (laughs) um what helps me with that (laughs) in controlling that monster reaction is halt So when I notice like, Ooh, like girls are ready to freak out. (laughs) You like pause and you ask yourself, are you hungry? Are you angry? Are you lonely? Are you tired? Nine times out of 10 for me, one of those is true. So like pause, meet that basic need, right? Because if, especially if we're hungry, like there's real things happening that like, we can't regulate our, our emotions as well. So like feed yourself take a five minutes to just like legs up the wall, rest your eyes, breathe, and then re-approach that situation. I will be the biggest advocate for taking a pause and difficult conversations and moments of just like, I can see I'm going to react right now. And I'm not in a place where I can control my reaction right now. So I just have to step away from this situation and that's perfectly okay. Um, Can you say what they are again? It's halt. It's hungry angry, lonely, and tired. So hungry and tired seem like a great place for a pause, but um, what is, what's your basic need probably if you're angry or lonely that you can act, act on? 
I think if you're angry, like the way I like to think about anger or stress or, you know, it is an emotion that needs to move through the body. And often the way that we allow it to move through the body is directed at someone else in typically a harmful way. So if I'm feeling angry, I need to let that energy move. I need that release. So like go on a run or go kickboxing, or I have smashed millions of my pots, smash a pot, break some eggs. Like I'm an advocate of like, you don't need to suppress that, like get that emotion out in a safe, healthy container. Don't put it on someone else. Don't beat yourself up with it either. Don't keep it all in you. Yeah. Like scream in a pillow. Yeah. Scream in a pillow, stomp your arms and legs, like just do something to shake that energy out. Um, and then lonely, I think that one so hard, so much. And one of the really great things we can do, um, especially if we experience social anxiety or are feeling lonely and like we don't have someone we can reach out to. Normally there is someone that you can't and it's a vulnerability to put yourself in that situation, but I recommend it. But if you can't in that moment, that's okay. I think stepping into nature and finding that connection and spending time in the natural world, we can remind, be reminded of like how interconnected we are to the natural world and how we're never alone. Like sitting outside and just being with the trees that are there. It's like, these are my, these are supporting me too. The earth beneath me is here for me, holding me up. These trees, like, do I need a hug? Should I just hug a tree? Is that how I get some connection right now? Like if that's where you're at, do that. I actually Um, hug a lot of trees. Right? Me too. I do. (laughs) It's a good thing. There's so many benefits. Send this to your friends. Yes. So then people can pretend like they're hugging me and you and they're hugging that tree. Like we're connected through that. Um, So I definitely recommend, even if you do feel like you have people to reach out to, stepping into nature is a way of to reconnect with yourself and others. Yeah. I like that. And when you talked about reaching out to your, like to a friend, if you have one, and even if you think you don't, there might be someone that you're just like not wanting to reach out. It kind of reminded me about the conversation that we had earlier about the yogurt or needing the lettuce Mm -hmm. and like how scary it is when it's something that small, where if like you had a friend that was to say like, Hey, can I, you know, borrow a cup of lettuce mm-hmm. or like a hand of lettuce, you'd be like, yeah, of course, like no big deal. Wouldn't think you don't right. even have yeah. to replace it. Cause it's going to go bad. Like just take yeah. it. No big deal. Um, and like, if that, if somebody called you like, Hey, I just feel kind of lonely right now. Can we just like talk on the phone for a minute? You would be like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'd love to. Exactly. Um, so it's like remembering that. I think we think that people won't receive us in the way that we would receive them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really common that most people feel that way. And when you realize Mm -hmm. that you're like, wait, 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 I would totally receive them and them and them and them and them. They would probably be more open to receiving me than I realized, Mm -hmm. you know, definitely. Yeah. It's like all contained in that same, like you mentioned social anxiety and I feel like that's kind of like wrapped up in there. Yeah, definitely. I often think a lot too about, you know, the way I'm meeting myself is that how my best friend would treat me? Like never, (laughs) you know, really tapping into, you know, when it's asking of someone else, how would I handle that situation for someone I love? And then when it's relating to myself, how would someone who loves me treat me and talk to me? And it's often not how I would be talking to myself. Yeah. I have a lovely friend named Jamie and she'll be like, stop talking about my best friend like that. 
Yes. Love those friends. And, yeah. And you're like, whoa, mm-hmm. gosh, sorry. But it, it takes a while of hearing that to realize that you, the self-talk that we do have towards ourselves, we would never yeah, let someone talk to our best friend that way. Certainly. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, well, I really appreciate having this like wonderful conversation with you. Um, I'm going to have all your info in the show notes below, but I want you to like verbalize any like of your Instagram or things like that, the name of your book, or, you know, I'll post that for you too. when it comes out, but let us know what you'd like people to be able to find you. Awesome. Thank you. First of all, so much for holding this space. I am so excited to get to listen to all your guests and just really grateful to be a part of it and just have such an intentional and grounding and just authentic conversation with you. So Aww. I really appreciate that. Thanks, Allie. Yeah. Um, first of all, my plug would be when you're not listening to this podcast, definitely give How the Wise One Grows podcast a listen. It's on all the podcast platforms and I put um, videos on YouTube that are often of me throwing. So throwing ceramic pots on the wheel. Um, maybe you should throw, <laughs> maybe you should throw the ones that aren't good when you're angry. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I should. Um, so you can watch some wheel throwing, and get a little therapeutic garden while you listen, if you like. And then um, you can follow me at Holly Deja on Instagram. We're working on getting an official Instagram for the podcast, which is going to be at how the wise one grows. So you can keep eyes out for that. And then the book is in the works. So we'll keep you posted as it evolves, but just stay connected. I just want to for me, it's all about that inner connection we have and anything that helps heal me, I want to share with others in the hopes that it can yeah. support someone else too. Yeah. And like I mentioned earlier, especially like through your Instagram and on your podcast, like, yeah, just, you just talk about experiences and it's not like you're giving people lists or things that they need to do. And I think it's mm-hmm. like your Instagram is just like, it's like calming. It's like kind. And I think everyone should give it a follow because it's, thank you so much. Yeah. It's, it's like, I think somebody might come to you and be like, yeah, I really like that advice, but like, it sucks and I don't like it. It doesn't work. And you'd be like, okay, cool. Thanks yeah. for letting me know. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, it's like, I'm not that gonna, one wasn't you for you. Yeah. You wouldn't <laughs> judge them or be angry or anything. I feel like you're just such a welcoming presence. So I hope everyone takes the time to come check you out. Thank you so much. Um, And now I want to know what kind of um, meditation you'd like to lead the guests in. Yeah. So I was kind of letting this conversation inspire me where it would go. And earlier we talked about the importance of bringing the feminine into our meditation. So during our meditation, we're going to focus on softening and coming back to what feels good and whatever that is for you and your body. Um, so that's our meditation is going to have a little feminine approach to it. Great. Okay. So guys stick around and listen to the next episode. And then, you know, I really encourage you guys to download the meditations as well. So you can come back to people's meditations anytime you need them. That's what they're here for to be of service to you. So thank you, Holly. And thank you guys for listening to the meditation ward. I'm Nadia and I guess I'll see you soon. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Bye. Thanks so much. Thank you guys for listening. We hope you stick around for the meditation on the next episode. 
If you're interested in wellness coaching through a meditative lens or starting your own meditation practice with accountability, check out TheMeditationWard.com. Give us a follow on Instagram at TheMeditationWard and please like, review us, and share with your friends. See you soon.